Welcome everyone to the 52nd episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Cozella here with Nick Tartaglia. What's Nick, up, Dan? It's been a while, my brother. It is. It's a little break and we're back onto it. I'm sure and listeners have been digging in and saying, Where when are Dan and Nick coming back? You know? <laughs> I've had some of my friends ask me that. Because <laughs> we yeah. I do have I have some friends that are regular listeners. Well, we want to apologize to all those people because a lot has kind of happened these last mm-hmm. couple of months um, and a lot in the markets and a lot in the world. Um, we're just going to cut to the chase in this episode. Um, the Fed is lying to the public. I'll leave it at that for now, but the, the Fed follow, is- We keep following the experts. Exactly. And <laughs> the challenge that I see right now and I'll give you kind of like my macro analysis as to what I think uh, is happening. Um, we have inflation. We have a supply chain crisis. Yeah. Uh, there's a possible war on the way. China and yeah. Taiwan, if people have been yeah. paying attention to that. Um, Russia is controlling pretty much all the natural gas supply yeah. in Europe because there's an energy crisis there. Yeah. And winter's coming. So and that's going to put a lot more pressure on this whole energy crisis. And it's going to give a lot more pressure, power to, to uh, Putin. Exactly. So let's, let's go back to the Fed real quickly. Um, their balance sheet has ballooned. Um, I think <laughs> they've printed more money in the last uh, 18 months than they have mm-hmm. in the last like seven years. Well, if we remember, if we go back to the first year, just the first year of COVID, let's just QE, just to give a simple little context. QE, first year of, uh, well, first 10 months of QE of COVID scenario, we did mm-hmm. $3.6 trillion. In the, the 2008, what, 2009 to 2012 uh, crash, in, three, in a three-year span, they did $3.4 trillion. So what they did in three years, we did in 10 months plus. That's that just gives you context at the exponential rate at which our debt is co- is expanding the liability. So, and that's why they're stuck at zero interest rates. Yeah, and the other thing too is, I mean, when when Nixon got rid of the gold standard of the dollar, mm-hmm. the dollar's not backed up by anything. No. I mean, the dollar is essentially worth it's worthless at this point. It allows um, um, it allows ideologies, you know, social economic ideologies to thrive and kind of like bring the monetary system into a, a real uh, like a non a non-real, I don't even know how to say it. It's like in a delusional reality because the fact it's a, that you're... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, we like to call it a liberal dis, uh, utopia. <laughs> where we're going off the gold standard right. so, because not backed by anything in real life. They're able to kind of like just abuse it. I'll, I'll, I'll actually take a step back. It's actually called a socialist utopia, right? When Joe Biden comes out and says, my $3.5 trillion plan is actually worth $0. Yeah. I mean, what is that common core math at this point? I mean, guys. And, uh, this- and, Saki, and Saki comes out saying, it doesn't make sense that businesses would transfer the cost of higher taxes over to consumers. It's like, that's literally how the world functions. The higher the cost for the business, the more expensive it becomes to the consumer, or else you're asking businesses to lose that on profit margins. So, so I want to take politics out of this, even though it's very difficult because it obviously affects everything, but we have to look at it from a very holistic view. Um, there is an administration, unfortunately, that I think they know what they're doing and they're probably doing it on purpose, but there's like zero common sense when it comes to math now. Now, the key coming up for the Fed uh, is this week. Um, are they going to start tapering? 
That's the big question. And for those of you that don't understand what tapering means, it's like they're cutting back on quantitative easing, which yeah. essentially means that they stop buying back the bonds. Now, just to play off of that, go back to 2018, the market crash we had. And that was literally because of the fact that they wanted to stop, slow down on QE and slightly raise interest rates. Basically where we are right now, and that caused the market crash. And that was back then. This is before the massive bluing of the, 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 the balance sheet. So, so, and it, 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 this is why also history is important because there's lessons from all of these different market crashes. But the fact of the matter is it's inevitable. It is inevitable that the Fed, even the Bank of Canada, and the Bank of Canada might actually be ahead of these guys because they have to. They're just like, this is how economic cycles work. But they're, they're, it's inevitable that by, the, by Q3 or Q4 next year, the rates, the interest rates are going to have to go up. Especially if inflation is persistent like this, it, absolutely, it, exactly. And it's like I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think that the inflation numbers that are being reported now are totally, totally misleading and oh. underestimating exactly what's happening. I mean, but I mean, we, we, the guests we've spoken to, the all of them, they, they all, they all have the same consensus. Whether it's Tav, whether it's a Rick Rule, whether it's Morgan Freeman, whether it's any of the guys we've had, they all say the same thing. It's like you, you, if you, there's a reason why retail people cannot succeed when they pay attention to mainstream media when it comes to markets because mainstream media misdirects them and always tells them to do the things at the end of a cycle. So they get destroyed all the time. Institutions, it's easy to trade around people that don't know what the hell they're doing because they're told what to do. And the CPI numbers are full of shit. They don't account for all the things, eggs and meat product and second. And they don't even account for housing market. They don't, it's like people have to buy things, but they don't care for any of it. it it's like an old basket number. That's like 20. Every time they, they, they do these stupid or ridiculous monetary or fiscal expansion that it just abuses things. They seem to want to manipulate numbers a little just to make it seem like they can excuse what they're doing. Like what CPI is only like what? Three, four, four percent or something. It's it a, they, 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 they updated it. It's, it's closer to like 4.3 now, but I think it's, it's, it's For probably sure double that right now. They're yeah, going to go it. because at the trailing, this CPI is a trailing 12 month average. Correct. So as the months go forward, the numbers are going to have to go up higher. And that doesn't account for a lot of other products that we say there's a lot of inflation. It doesn't account for all the commodities, you know, it's like, well, we'll talk about commodities. <laughs> I think the other thing too, and you know, I'll be honest, I was bashing, I was bashing Bitcoin for, for quite some time, but I, every, I find by the end of this year, if, and it will be still around, it, there's, there's legitimacy here, right? Mm -hmm. It's the basic supply and demand curve, 21 million Bitcoin. If inflation is rampant, if the only asset class that people are going to go into is, is that particular asset class, well, it, the only place it can, it can go is up. Now, when it reaches a certain point, like let's say it reaches a hundred thousand, and you're going to have days where there's twenty grand swings, or you know, that's going to be normal. But yet, the contrarian belief too is that thinking is going to say, well, wait a minute, it's too volatile for it to be a safe safe haven asset class. What's been going on with gold? That's the ultimate question too. Why is gold underperforming? Mm -hmm. Right. Is it a sleeping giant? Is silver also a sleeping giant? These are questions that I continue to have regularly. And that's why I'm, and I don't know about you, Nick, but I have exposure to Bitcoin. Oh, exactly. I have exposure to to, to the other cryptos. Not, mm -hmm. not like the, they're called the, on Reddit, they call them the shit coins, but the altcoins <laughs> that people are just buying and mm -hmm. hoping that it, it's a lotto ticket, essentially. No, I've actually invested in like those other key projects. Mm -hmm. uh, Quantum, Cardano, Cardano is a good one. Ethereum. I mean, yeah. Ethereum is going to be around forever, I think. 
Um, but you know, you, you need exposure and I do have silver gold, uh, mm-hmm. co- I have copper exposure as well. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need to have that diversity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the fed, right. The next time they come on CNBC or whatever it is, I'm not going to listen to a word that they're going to say. There is nothing Jerome Powell is going to say now that I believe. I don't know. They said about at that. the beginning, at the beginning, the, when we were doing all this and everybody was criticizing all the, the shutting down the economy, all the, uh, the expansion of the money, the money supply, everybody was a lot of contrarians or people that are outside Wall Street were saying, you're going to have inflation. They were saying, no, you were not because the last 20 years we've been doing the same thing. We didn't have, we didn't really get much inflation. So we're not going to get any again. What happens? We're getting a ma- we're getting pretty hot inflation. Next thing they come out and they say it's only going to be transitory. And they've been saying the same thing for six months now. It's only going to be transitory. Whatever we had, we it keeps getting bigger and bigger and worse and worse. Now everybody's talking about it. So it's like, at, at what point do we start saying, well, clearly the government experts don't know what they're talking about. So there's two scenarios. This is in my mind. I don't know what is true or not. It's one either these guys, because of this whole Keynesian nonsense that they believe in, gives them an entirely different political perspective of the market, as if though the market is nothing more than a tool and not a, a an ecosystem that is just based on reality, that just economics is a part of reality, not a, a tool by which politics can manipulate. So it's either they believe that what they're doing is actually accurate and then they just have to keep adjusting according to whatever is thrown at them or two, they're lying to us and they know exactly what's about to happen. But in order to maintain confidence, in order to expand their political narrative, they just keep things. But it's like, for fuck's sake, like you guys are like, it's like, I I, I would say, uh, I would, I would say it's the latter, Nick. I would say, I would say it's the latter. I think they're very aware. Because then it's a crime against that. This is a pure crime against humanity because they are destroying the middle class and they are getting, and they're annihilating the poor people. Well, I, Look, I, and they're I don't happy wanna... they have, and they're happy they have high inflation too now because uh, the high inflation yeah. thing will solve. It's what they've been wanting for the last twenty years. I, I don't want to again. We're we're going down a little <laughs> bit of a conspiracy rabbit hole, but let's go back to sort of the and the joke is the conspiracies are coming true after six. Mm. It's a conspiracy until six months later, you know, or the difference between the conspiracy and the truth is six months, and that just seems to be happening every month. There's like a new thing that was talked about anyway. Um, so let's let's be careful on that. But again, um, the Fed is the Fed is just trapped right now. Yeah, like and we're supposed to be raising rates soon. Well, they, sorry, QE quantitative eatings we're supposed they, to taper right. soon. And they're using this is the challenge too. And I have to thank our our, our guy Tavi Costa because he's been all over this and he's yeah. been crazy charts. If you guys crazy want to follow charts. crazy charts on Instagram too, Ta- Tavi's got some yeah. good stuff. But um, what like the question is why are they using cpi as the leading indicator to determine their policy y- you can't right now i honestly think the best indicator is oil prices i mean look at what's happened to oil do not be surprised to see 120 dollars oil by the end of next year gas is 156 156 dollars a liter that's that's seven dollars for you americans per gallon <laughs> california prices so look i mean it's a very interesting conundrum and the worst part is we're all being lied to right now mm-hmm. and the, here's another thing so we keep saying listen to the experts it's the expert like what did we get what did we see last month in terms of uh, an employment and everything what they had an expectation us of, yeah exactly us, US. US. Because, canada canada yeah. we're okay we're back to pre-pandemic exactly. levels exactly. but this is us but i'm using about. us because of the fact that us drives the north american economy correct basically correct. so 
we, we they said what I, an expected expected three hundred fifty thousand or something like that, but they only got five hundred five five hundred thousand yeah. jobs, and they only got oh, what oh, then okay they only got one hundred fifty five thousand actual one hundred ninety five thousand okay one hundred ninety five so they were almost thirty <laughs> percent yeah exactly <laughs> I couldn't remember so they got only thirty percent of what they expected, and the whole point of what they keep saying is we need to focus on employment. If we can get employment back to normal, then we have money going to people's pockets. You have people spending, and then we could start tapering again. Uh, you're completely off with the employment scenario because you keep paying people to stay at home. You've you've destroyed the supply chains. You've hurt a lot of businesses. So a lot of people can't even really employ people or the fact that now you have to pay people $15 an hour and a lot of businesses can't even afford that. So they just reduce their operation. And here you're telling us you're going to taper, but based on that metric. So already a lot of us knew that you were going to have employment issues because you keep everything you keep doing is going to cause employment problems. And then you say in order to taper, the condition is back is decent employment numbers again. So again, you're lying to us and you're giving a false sense of perspective. Oh, we're going to start tapering around this, this time. One, you have so much debt in the system. So it's like, what the hell? And then secondly, your employment numbers are not there. So again, like, well, I think what they're also doing um, is the employment numbers that includes a participation rate. Yeah. I also think that that's totally not accurate anymore because there's actually like an entire, we we've entered sort of this, this is the end of the industrial age right now. Actually, I would say even last year, 2020 was the end of the industrial age. Let's confirm that. Um, And we're kind of entering this sort of creator economy phase. Mm -hmm. So where there are these, people who are making money running businesses off of like content creation yeah which is good i mean it's a double-edged sword for individuals not for uh, not for a productive and growing economy correct because it it doesn't produce anything correct it's it's just just like art you know it It doesn't which which is yeah which is fine like don't get me wrong because what what it does is people are still making money for that they do got to pay taxes so it does contribute back to the the societal well-being whatever we want to call it but um I find that the unemployment numbers just in general are not factoring that in. So what they're actually doing is they're actually uh, misrepresenting them and over, over um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not overestimating, but representing over representing or yeah, over representing what the actual, or I'm sorry, under representing what the actual participation rate is. Mm. And the other thing too, is they're probably not factoring in the amount of people that are falling below the poverty, poverty mm-hmm. line, because that, unfortunately, I don't know what the number is, but that is going to have, that is going to continue to go up exponentially. There's well, no more middle, here, just, there's just no more middle here, class. There's no more to, middle just class. Just to say here in Montreal, just it came out again, this is how delayed the media and the government is either again, because they're lying or because they really don't know what the hell they're doing when it comes to economics is they talking about, oh, we've doubled our, our uh, we've doubled our homelessness in Montreal. No shit. What did you expect? <laughs> you know, it's like, and then what are they doing? They're saying, oh, we're going to spend more money to try to solve that problem, ease the pain. You put, it's like you throwing created, money in a fire. You created this environment <laughs> because of what you think. And yeah. now you're going to act like the hero by taking on more debt to try to solve the problem that you caused. And here we are looking at you like we're a bunch of buffoons and just, yeah, you know what? Just do whatever the hell you want abuse our system, take, spend the money you want. It's like, it's like giving money to a drug addict that you know will never solve the problem. And you just say, you know what? And to solve your problem, he's going to give you more money. That doesn't make any sense. You, you, don't, you don't give him more money when he has a drug problem. This is literally the situation. Our economy is like a, an addict that's near 
death. And the only way to keep going is by continuing to inject ourselves with more money supply and more QE and low interest rates, everything artificially. So here's what's going to, I don't want to predict anything because it's just predictions just never work. But I think if you look at trends in the news, and if you look at trends that are happening globally, it's pretty evident to see what could possibly transpire mm -hmm. uh, in the next six months. The big winners are going to be the banks. Right? If rates go up, banks are making more money. That's just common sense at this point. And for those who are, who are new to that idea, um, it's just, that's what it is. Higher interest rates means that they can charge higher months, uh, higher, higher amounts of money on their loans. And that's it. And banks, believe it or not, just had record-breaking earnings announcements. This last, these last two earnings we've like the big banks too, Canadian banks too, have been absolutely off the chart. They've been the best owning stocks apart from energy. Um, so if you had them in your portfolio and you bought them like early on this year, you're laughing right now. Um, they will continue to improve the value. We're, we're, we're also past that point, Nick, of uh, growth and tech. I think tech's going to have a really bad uh, six to eight months, maybe even more, depending on how aggressive they decide to taper. Um, you know, what's but, funny though, what they would talk about tech is the fact that we, I, like, it seems that the world is deglobalizing in the sense of because of the social, political and economic chaos and tension. Yeah. It's like a lot of countries are starting to like kick out tech companies and like, say, we don't want you, or you can't do this or like, it, and that's going to destroy the, the, the revenue potential for a lot of these tech companies, because a lot of the other parts of the world are not going to want these tech companies because they see how much they're messing with politics and how much they're disrupting the social you're environment. The, you're talking about the big tech companies. Exactly. Yeah. But that trickles down because then it's like, well, we don't trust American companies anymore. They mess, they, 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 they get involved too much of our politics. They're going to disrupt our political system, our social system. So, you know, it's like, well, you know what, we're going to start removing them as much as we can. We're going to start depending on other companies. We're going to try to create our own government type of tech company because we can China did it. They emulated basically United States over the last 30 years and look where they are now. So I feel like that what could happen. And then the quality of all these YouTube, like, because they're so fixated on growth. Well, maybe what you're going to start putting more advertisements on YouTube. You're going to start making things more annoying for consumers. But you know, what's funny to me is why couldn't a lot of these companies, especially these big tech companies, like you could have stayed mature. And just start paying out higher yield dividends and stop focusing they, so much on just growth. Well, here, here's the other thing too. The, 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 the saying on the street is the bigs are getting bigger. I mean, you're, you're literally setting yourself up for a total monopoly or mm -hmm. oligopoly at this point who basically control the flow of information. That's the scary part right now. And they're probably listening to this conversation. I don't really care, but um, the AI. Yeah. That. That's the next step. I mean, look, tech, tech long-term. Okay. Yes. But I, I would say in the next, like, you know, with, with the possibility of rates going up by the end of next year, value is the that'll affect PE inflation. Huge. The, the, the interest rate rise is definitely gonna have a huge impact on price of multiples real estate. Also a hundred percent. And see, that's the one thing that scares me with the banking system is like, look what happened in 2008, 2009 with the banking system. And that was one environment here. We've avoided 2000, the 2000 problem we've avoided because of all this monetary abuse. The 2009 we've avoided because again, of the same type of economic behavior by the government. And now we are at a third and usually in technicals, you also have the rule of three. So why can't it also apply to economic cycles and economic trends? So here you have the third environment we're creating where it's completely being abused. We have high foreclosure. We had, we had a, what it was last month. You had a 32% increase in foreclosures in the United States. If rates rise, well, how much problem is that going to cause in the, in the housing market? 
and how much of that's going to impact all the way to the banking system. So that's another thing too. The people that bought real estate last year, assuming that their mortgages were 0% interest rates, or at least probably had like a 2%, 3% interest rate. If you have a variable rate, you're going to, it's not going to be affordable. You're not going to be able to afford uh, the house, the house turns it, or the, the piece of real estate that you bought basically turns into a massive liability. And most people are just not prepared for this. And um, this is the other thing I was thinking about is because like the banking system, they're applying a stress test. Okay. So let's say, okay, we're going to assume at we're going to assume at four to 5%, you can handle it. But Canadian banking, by the way, is like, I, I'll give them credit as much as we, you know, despise the way the system is set up and how communist it feels when you have to ask, okay, I got to withdraw 10 grand. And they start asking you why you were withdrawing 10 grand. But we, we have a pretty, pretty safe system here. Like they, they, there's like, there's a stress test for a reason, but go ahead. Exactly. So the stress test, I get the purpose, but now in my mind, I'm going, okay, but if there's a de-risking environment where people are no longer focused on spending money and people are not focused on paying off liabilities, if you de-risk, that means you have a decrease in economic activity, which means that you have a lot of people or a lot of businesses, they're going to see a reduction in revenue. A reduction in revenue causes people to reduce their operations in order to save on capital and fix up their profit margins. So that could also mean that you might see a massive reduction in employment because your people are going to be laid off because you have a de-risking environment. So all the people that are buying houses, what happens if your jobs are not secure? Because the, 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 the stress test does not account for a de-risking environment where you have people losing jobs. It doesn't account for that. It only accounts for assuming you maintain your job. Can you handle a, an increase at four to 5% interest rate? Sure. But if the economy starts to shrink, because now we're let's say we're, we're, we're in the stagflation environment. Let's say there's high interest rates. People need to, and operations are getting destroyed because people are not spending as much money. Okay. People are losing jobs. People start losing jobs. I don't care what the interest rate is. I can't pay it. Period. Your, 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 your livelihood is eliminated. Exactly. Not to mention, not to mention, and again, we're going to try and refrain from this because we're not doctors or health experts, but not to mention the medical coercion that's going on in most of these unemployment places where people are saying, if you're not jabbed, you can't have a job. Think about that. Think about that for a second. You're it's basically going enough. to, you're, you're, you're basically going to tell people that they can't make a living because they're not vaccinated. It's funny because it's forget, it, forget the health for a second, but just it's think about serious that. enough. It's so serious of a pandemic that you can say, I'm going to make people lose their jobs and force them to do something if they don't comply. But it's not serious enough that I can go and create medical shortages by firing nurses and threatening them. Really? That doesn't make any sense. There's no alignment in that kind of uh, rationale. Logic. It's not even There's logic. none. If I know it's a pandemic and I need people working, people to take care of people, I can't afford to threaten nurses to lose your jobs. I need them. I need every single manpower I can get because that's what we're fighting. So it, it makes it seem more political than anything because you're not playing. I'm trying to help people. You're playing. Do what I say, regardless of what the, 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 what's going on. So the key, you know, the, 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 the key, the key right now, Nick, I think, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think it's three things. Okay. The fed is lying. Mm -hmm. Energy prices are going through the roof mm -hmm. and there's the a winter is going to make a, a, a global, global supply chain crisis. Uh, like honestly, Persistent. somebody, some of the, by the way, before I, before I get serious about this, but somebody asked me the other day, they're just like, what, you know, what are you, what are you going to do for Christmas? Like, what do you want to get for Christmas? I'm like, honestly, just get me, get me Bitcoin. <laughs> 
give me an asset class that I know I could just throw in, look at it, and just I know that it's going to be there. Anyway, that's besides the point. So, uh, the Fed is lying, energy crisis, supply chain crisis, and then now we have total uh, probably well, the tapering. Un- the tapering too is also uh, well, the uncontrol the un- the uncontrollable inflation that we're seeing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, so you got to weigh these things now, and you have to start realizing, okay, things have changed. You and I have been screaming about this since 2020 when, when, when they announced, okay, a global lockdown, rates are going to zero. I'm like, dude, we we're talked about inflation. So like, rampant inflation. It's just going to be so stupid. It's like people, just, just to give people an idea, basically, like, this is something we talked about at the beginning, but just to give a context, like think of a, think of a business. When you go diluting your stock, each value of your stock becomes less and less. And the Shares. only way to offset value of your decreasing value of share is by making sure that the business on the flip side of the equation ups their productivity and their revenues in order to offset the dilution because then it takes care of that. So in an economic context, it's the same thing. If you're going to dilute and increase the money supply, you need to ensure that the business cycle or the productivity is expanding. I think that's why heavily the last 20 years with the money supply increase, they've been saying we haven't gotten enough inflation. It's because of the fact that we've been so productive in the sense of tech expanding our productivity as an economy. But we've reached a peak at a certain point and it's like, well, it's not going to affect us. It's not going to have the same productive output anymore. And with the shutting down of the economies and and all the, and very, the more regulations, more mandate, it's like you've destroyed the productive side of the equation, but you're just increasing the money supply like there's no tomorrow. So it's like, what do you expect? Inflation is going to kick in because you've literally, you're messing up the basic nature of how to go about increasing and implementing because um, this is the monetarist component like Milton Friedman of classical economists. And it's like, we're completely destroying it. Just, you're just printing money to substitute what the market can't do for itself. Of course, you're going to get dilution and the destruction of your dollar because that's what it is. But you have the fact that it's the reserve currency of the world. So that's protecting their asses because if it wasn't for that, they would have destroyed themselves. But will um, it last? Will the currency last? That's another question. An- another another thing too. Um, I mean, I've just I, I kind of peek at the the forex market here and there, but the Turkish lira is crashing, yeah. and there's tensions between Greece and Turkey too. Something nobody is talking about. Mainstream is forget it. They don't even care, you know, unless there's an actual war. So you have a lot of geopolitical risk right now in the whole uh, in the world, really. Um, that could actually make the inflation even more rampant. I don't even know if that's possible, but that idea in the back of my mind is there just in case. It's like the way um, I say it is, it's like, um, you know, the ripple, you know, when you throw a rock into the ocean, yeah, uh, to the water and it ripples. The yeah. way I see it is the more political and social chaos expands, the more it has a negative impact on the economy. So the, it more burdens the economy, which means the more Correct. you burn the economy, the hardest for people to operate, work together, trade together. It means more regulations, more control, more taxes, more money spending. Those are all bad things for the economy. So I, the way I see it is like a pure basic behavioral equation. Is social chaos expanding? Yes. Is political chaos expanding? Yes. Expect economics to get worse. 100%. It's it's. It's only going to get worse now before it gets better. That's that's what people need to understand. Energy, believe it or not, had had. I mean, I was looking at. I for full disclosure, by the way, I have a lot of fifty three percent of my portfolio right now is in oil and gas. Yeah, I mean, it's commodities and energy. Commodities, like half got, of my yeah, that's half. Yeah, my and, and I've got some gold, silver, crypto, etc. But 
I was looking at a chart and I'm going through and I'm like, why is, why is coal up? And then it made sense to me. And I was just like, wait a minute, we've, as a society, because of this climate change hysteria, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong, like Nick, you and I understand that the environment is important. Absolutely. Which is why we don't litter, right? Which is why I take care of, you know, I compost and I recycle, okay? But the hysteria that's come from this, you've basically created an entire generation that doesn't want to be a miner. They don't want to get any mining jobs, any trucking jobs, anything that is related to trade or industrial that actually is beneficial for production of a growing economy. Mm-hmm. We've totally eliminated that. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. The second thing is oil and gas wells. People have stopped drilling. Mm-hmm. Biden Which shut down. Biden messes shut with down. the supply side. Exactly. There's- Biden, Biden messes up Keystone. Shuts it down. Trudeau's no longer like, energy independent. Uh, wants Trude- OPEC. Trude- wants Trude- OPEC to increase supply. Trudeau says the same thing because they're part of that whole globalist agenda of build back better, which I call yeah. build back brain cells because there's mm-hmm. zero sense to anything that they're doing. But I was looking at the price of coal and I'm like, coal is going up. And the only reason for that is because where else are you going to get energy? We exactly. saw wind. We saw we saw wind and solar totally collapse an entire electrical grid in Texas last year. Or this year, this in February, it totally shattered the entire uh, electrical grid. The question now becomes, and this goes back to your last point, is like, okay, what happens this winter? Mm -hmm. If we have a really bad cold winter, we are going to see inflation like we've never seen before. And people are just not, people are going to get so blindsided by it because I, I wish the vast majority of the population would understand how this works because they would actually go to the fed and start burning that building down. And again, I'm not inciting violence, by the way, I'm just telling you that like, that's hashtag, just like hashtag end the fed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, set, set, central banks really are designed to destroy the middle class. And the weather, unfortunately is something that I don't know, can we control it? But like, if we have a really cold winter, Nick, I'm telling you gas prices, oil prices, the price of everything is going to see levels that we have not seen. Maybe I—I I think the last time this was maybe in the 1970s. When you know it was what, really it, this bad. You know what scares me about it? it's the fact that the privileged people of the West or any world, when they look at this data, they go, ah, you know, whatever. But they don't account for is the cost of that on middle class people and poor people. If I'm it's in the winter and you've just tripled my energy cost on heating my place, and already I, I'm in debt. You think I can afford to heat my apartment 24-7 in the middle of a winter? So what you're saying is you're going to have poor people who have who, who are just living, barely living by. You're asking them to go into either further debt to have heat to survive or that you might have some poor people that might die because they're freezing to death in their apartment or old people because they don't have enough money because they're living on pension and the inflation is destroying their pension. So it's like, this is going to have, there's going to be a lot of trickling effect in terms of ways that most people don't realize because they're well off or because they don't understand how these things impact their life because they have never need, they've never felt it yet, especially as millennials and younger. Um, the worst case scenario is you have places where the only thing that's heating the apartment is your stove. Mm-hmm. Put that into perspective. Or people are gonna people are literally gonna open up their fireplace and start burning wood and say, "I don't care right. about the fines and taxes because I need heat and I'm not. I don't want to pay three times my energy cost. I'm it's gonna start a, using my fireplace again." It's a very like gloomy scenario, but I think within it there's obviously opportunity um, and. 
the thing that people need to understand is if you want to invest, get yourself some exposure into value plays. The ones that are going to be in an environment when interest rates go up, the ones that are actually going to do really well. And that's, I hate to say it, natural gas in a cold winter, oil, banks, you know, growth, growth companies might suffer. You might have some small caps that do well. Yeah, exactly. See, that's where I, I think that's and, one of the biggest undervalues. Yeah, go. I, I just want to say one thing. The commodity cycle mm -hmm. still hasn't started yet. No. It's lurking. It's ready to roll. But we might see a crazy commodity cycle because of the supply issues all mm -hmm. over the world. What do you do at that point? Nobody's drilling anything because environmentalists are saying, no, fracking is bad for the environment. It's bad for this. Okay, yes, we agree. But like, how are we, how are we as a society going to be able to sustain our standard of living through colder temperatures when there's no energy to file that through? And that's the biggest problem right now is the public's perception of green energy is totally broken that mm. it's, it's going to cause some pretty significant problems in the next few months, I think. 100%. It doesn't, they don't, they don't account for all the other part of the equation that means, okay, if you want to drastically increase your output of re renewable energy, you have all the inputs. Part of that equation are commodities, oil, machinery, mining, and more supply. All that's increased supply means you got to go and dig more into the land. To dig more into the land means you need more machines. All, most of the heavy machinery are all run on oil. So you have more machines consuming more oil and you have more commodities being produced. And more of those commodities means you got to be shipped around the world, which means you need more uh, transportation system, which consumes a lot of oil also. It's like everything you want is just, it's, it's just expanding our need on oil at a much faster rate. So it's I, like- I, I just find it crazy that like by the time Christmas hits, you're going to have like, you're going to have discussions with people. They're going to be like, I can't believe I don't have this item available for something. And it's just going to be like, well, sorry. I mean, this is oh, the environment's fault. This is capitalism's fault, guys, because of policies and ideas that push for yeah. a this so called is pure, green, green utopia. This is pure ideological and political nonsense that's creating <laughs> this environment. It's not this, this nonsense and delusion. I think that's the of, main takeaway, by the way, from this episode is because of the incompetence. And the so-called ideological nonsense, they have Politics. implemented policies that are destroying society to its core, and people are not even aware of it. This is what this is literally what democracy does. This is what Venezuela did to itself. This is what socialism does to itself. It focuses on ideological politics rather than focusing on what is objective reality of economics and how do we go about focusing our energy in order to optimizing and making things more beneficial for everybody because we're respecting economic truths. No, where we play this delusional game, we avoid, like I tell people, oh, if you want to do this, if you want to play this whole renewable energy and you think we need to save the planet by all means, but you go, you're going to need to destroy the planet more much quicker because you have to dig a ton up. You're going to have to use up a ton of land to put all those equipments and solar panels and all those wind turbines. You have to use up all that land that becomes dead land after. And then you have to need, you need a ton of oil and, so it's like, all you're doing is just making it, you're just making the worst case scenario occur faster because yeah. you're just, you're just pushing it. 
well, to go a, faster. It's a supply issue. Like we, 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 we talked it's like about the, it. it's, it's the intent versus the outcome. It sounds good in your brain, but like, let's break it down. How do you get to that point? Yeah. Well, I need more oil. I need more machines. I need to dig more. I need to transport more. I need to Careful use up more land. So it's like, aren't all those the things that you don't want happening more of? They, oh, they, shit. They, they might fact check you once you give them a stat. That suggests no. that this can't, this transition can't happen the way you think it can. So, I mean, the, the, the common saying is, I forget who it was. I mean, you'll, you'll be able to tell me, but uh, this is just a quote. It's like, if socialists understood how oh, economics yeah. works, von they, Hayek. Yes. Yeah. They, they wouldn't be socialists. Exactly. I mean, pretty self-explanatory. And it, it literally ties back to this. I, if you focus on politics, well, then you're going to abuse the economy and you won't, you, like, you don't know what you're doing. If you focus on economics, politics is secondary. Because politics is just there to protect property rights, laws, and the border. It's not there to dictate how the economy is to function. But you see, now going back to this whole, like, let's just go back quickly to, like, the Bitcoin and gold conversation in terms of the Fed. It's like, I wanted to talk about this to, to close this off, but go ahead. Exactly. So the whole thing with the Fed is trapped. It's that I want to see how the market's going to react to finding out that the Fed, yeah, once again, has lied that they can't taper. And if they can taper, how does the market respond? And if the market responds as we expect, as in it's going to freaking freak out, do they go back to increasing the tapering right back to normal? And if they do, it shows that against again, that the government or the Fed doesn't know what the hell they're doing. So like, that's what worries me. I just want to observe that I want to observe what's happening there. And once I know what's so, about to happen there, it's whether I'm either going to say, okay, we can go forward with another position or let's wait because the market might come back down. So uh, here's what I would say. Um, the, what you just said by any generalist investor is going to be interpreted as, okay, I should just sit on cash and wait. For A portion, short term right now. Not, uh, I will say this. I don't think you want to have all your cash on the sideline right now. No, not all. What, what you need, what you need is to protect yourself in that situation. I have never been bullet more bullish. I was actually bullish on crypto when it was trading at about 39 to 42 K when it was coming down that downtrend. And then I started reading a lot of stuff about all the projects and sort of the, uh, the work that's going on behind the scenes. And then the day China said that they banned Bitcoin, and then I went on this source that said China, the Chinese government owes 3% of the supply. I go, every time they say this, it's bullish for Bitcoin. I think everybody needs some kind of crypto exposure right now because the reality of the situation is, and it will get crazy and you just have to be prepared for this, which is why I just adopt a buy only mentality with these things. I don't sell. I just keep buying because that is the way of the future in five years. When Bitcoin is going to be trading at 450K, maybe 600, maybe a million. I don't know. I'm not predicting that. But I would rather be in right now, accept the volatility swings, than look back five years and realize, oh my God, the entire world has adopted this because inflation is so bad that I don't have protection against it. I have never been this bullish on, on, on crypto for that reason. Okay. It sounds crazy because everyone's like, oh, well, there's volatility swings. Like, yeah, of course there's going to be volatility. But if you just ignore that and take yourself on a 10 year time frame, do you want to look back 10 years from now when Bitcoin's trading at a million? I'm not saying that's the case, but let's mm -hmm. say it's trading at a higher, much higher price than it is now. Are you going to sit back 10 years and be like, shit, I should have actually bought some 10 years ago and then realize, well, wait a minute. Uh, $120,000 salary or commission, whatever it is, is actually worth nothing. 
Like, think about that. That's like where we're heading, man, in this environment of like- but That's what inflation causes. It makes you think of alternatives way to preserve cash because cash is becoming worthless. Exactly. So again, that's just one piece. And again, I think commodities are going to be a huge, huge mm-hmm. winner uh, this next cycle. It's just what scares me is the, the deflationary risk of, let's say, raising rates. If you raise rates, you cause a massive deflationary environment. Because a lot of Which things is, are co- you need that to stabilize economies, but the way it's done with all this money that's in the system, it's going that's, to be so aggressive. But that's what scares me with, let's say, crypto, for example, because crypto has never experienced this downside type of environment where we have to raise rates and we're causing a de risking environment. What happens when a market says, okay, we need to de-risk. There's too much risk exposure. We need to get away from it. I want. I don't know, especially the institutions. How are they going to behave in that environment? Does crypto Correct. thrive through it, or does it get impacted negatively and correlates to that? Correct. Trend? Which is why you should have exposure to gold and silver. Yeah, exactly. A basket. But the thing is, the cash on the side is when you're looking for these macro variables to, that are coming into play and coming closer to occurring, it's watch to see how it behaves. Does it give a positive or a negative reaction? If it gives a positive, okay, then at least you can say, okay, now I need to start looking for a re-entry position. If it gives I, a negative, then it's I, like, I, I, I've got to wait a bit. I, I would also just say, and this is not investment advice, but listen, put a little bit in, put, put, put $100 in, just see yeah. how it behaves. See now, just to give my th- this is and that's risk management, by the way. Exactly. Like <laughs> my my perspective now with the way we're going about this is, we're looking to see what happens with the tapering. This is our thing. Does mm-hmm. it break the sixty three k mark? If it breaks the sixty three k mark, level. It's a exactly. key level right now. So if it breaks that and it goes to hundred k, in my mind, I expect a really big pullback. Huge. The next pullback, that's where we're going to re-enter again. Even if it's at fifty k, even if it's sixty k, I don't care. Our original position is below 10K. So for us, we don't care because the thing is you're already pulling back and we can expect the trend back upwards. Speak, speak for yourself. I mean, when Bitcoin was trading down at 39, 40, 42K, I was, I was buying it. Yeah, it's just, we, it's just like we got like, most of the positions we entered were below 10. So we got, let's say we bought, Q, so we have a portion of it as a QBTC. Have you, the, have you sold by the way? We sold at the 50, 50, because we sold, we were up 550%. To raise cash, to raise cash. We sold half our position. We were up 550%. We sold half. Yeah. Like, you know, so that cash on the side, in our mind now, it's, if it comes, if it goes back to break that, to go near the, uh, the break it had in the technicals around the 23K mark, we'll enter back in that position. If it doesn't and it runs up, then we'll look for a new entry point at a higher level. Because it, 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 we have no risk on the table, right. and already we're still up fifty. We're still up five hundred fifty percent at this point with no risk on the table. Yeah, so that's, house, that's house's money at this point. Exactly. Nice. So for us, we're not worried. So now we're just trying to figure out: do we buy at this high when we have more downside, or do we wait for the upside with a pullback and we enter on that? So that's what I'm waiting for to see if it breaks that and to see how it behaves with the tapering. If, if it behaves negatively with the tapering, then we could see it go back to 23 again. Even if it goes to 100K, it might crash because the tapering caused a massive sell-off in the market. Who knows? It's I'm, pure I'm, thesis I'm just, and hypothetical. I'm just glad I'm in it right now. Yes, exactly. I have exposure, but I have exposure at a low side. So for so, me, I can just afford so to look. Let me ask you this and we'll wrap this up. Do you really care at what price Bitcoin is knowing that it is a possible hedge against inflation. Do you really care? Like at 400, look, hold on, hypothetical, hypothetical. At 
450K or 300K, do you really care what the price is? I find there's going to be a psychological moment mm-hmm. where the price is not even going to matter. And it's like, you're either in it or you're not. And it doesn't matter at what price you bought it at. So the way I see it is even, let's say, hypothetically speaking, I don't add any capital to it and it goes to 450K in five years. My clients are up and myself, we're up 4,500% because we bought amazing. it below 10K. Yeah, so amazing. worst case, we don't add any, you still made a ton of money. That's your worst case scenario because we still have money in the, uh, we still have money on the, in it. It's just, we don't have as much money. So all it is for us is a matter of looking for when is a new re-entry point to add to the position, not when to get out. Because either way, if it runs up, that's 4,500%. Or if I, I, let's go to 100K, that's 1,000% profit. A thousand percent return. We have skin in the game. It's just for the, the perspective, at least for us, because we have skin in the game, it's when do we enter to add more to the position? That's how we're looking at it, just because it's so freaking volatile. I'm but never you, selling Bitcoin, by the way. I will buy the ETFs, I'll play in and out of those, but I'm never selling the, the exactly. digital. I'm never selling we, it. With the ones we're trading, though, are the QBTS one, QBTC. Okay. QBTC. We're not trading the actual physical, we're just we're trading the, the holding yeah. company yeah, that yeah, holds yeah. it. Yeah. So that's the one we're trading because it correlates with Fred it. Pai, our exactly. boy Fred Pye, who was on one of our first we should, episodes. Honestly, we should maybe have a see what, how things are with institutions, bring yeah. him back on. I, listen, I, I'd love to have him back on. I've been talking to a lot of brokers and the word on the street is that Fred Pye, also formerly known as Fred Latart en français, which means <laughs> Pye. Yeah, it was one pie. of the guys told me it was really funny. But no, I, the, they made so much progress. I think there's massive institutions globally mm. getting into this. It would and be really interesting. Next, and they were working with uh, with, uh, with Arc. Uh, Arc, uh, what's Arc there with Caddy? What's her name? Caddy Woods? Wood. Yeah, what's her thing? Arc Innovation? Arc, Arc Innovations. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he say they were working with the, they, they were planning uh, on working uh, with them or I something? I don't know. This is a question we have. This is a question we'd have to ask him. I'd love to have Fred Pye back on because there's been so much progress in that space. Mm-hmm. And from the institutional side, because that's yeah. what the side he's on. Agreed. And, you know, this this upcoming week, the Bitcoin futures ETF is going to start trading. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about a very short-term bullish player. I mm-hmm. mean, you want to- And then watch inflation. that 63K mark. Does yeah, it break or does it not break? It's huge. So um, guys, we'll leave it at that. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I know we've been rambling a little bit too much on this last, like, because it's got me so fired up. I'm, I'm really just excited to see- I missed this. I, I missed having this conversation. With you. Yeah. Yeah, likewise, man. I mean, we just we we love talking about the global political sphere, global macro sphere, um, and that's why we do this. Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to tell you guys certain trends that we're seeing, so you can anticipate them and understand. Okay, the media is not always telling you. Actually, they're never telling you the full truth at this point. <laughs> so they're blaming they're blaming inflation on climate change. Yeah, climate change, which is total nonsense. <laughs> it's like it's total yeah, nonsense. So it's like I don't even know what to say anymore. That's, with that's another conversation for another time. But um, <laughs> listen, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with a new episode. I think Bitcoin is going to go on a pretty intense run here uh, with the Fed with the Fed being trapped, and there's really no way around it, man. So. And think about it this way. Precious metals bottomed out about two weeks ago with this whole inflation talk again. That's kicking in and the employment, gold bottom, silver bottom. Then they've, they've had a nice little week and a half of uptrend again. The contrarian in both of us is saying the best time to buy those precious metals is when they hit a very new low that we haven't seen in probably 18 months. But. Yeah, they hit to the silver, for example, hit 2150. 
That was a huge low. It took a year to get there. That was a pullback of, it went from, it crashed to 13, crashed to 13 at the March last year, flew all the way to $30, tested 30 twice, and now came all the way back down to 2150. That's wild. I think Zeus wants to call it quits. He's ready (laughs) to roll. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, guys.